We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's our producer, Chris Krueger. We've got Ryan Lacell from Rock Sports Network riding shotgun with us tonight. And why don't you shut the fuck up? Let's discuss putting this show together. Uh oh! Remember, you had you had child duty all weekend, mm-hmm. and I te- I knew we were gonna do AFC East tonight, mm-hmm. so I sent you a text, Scott, Christian, Alf, mm-hmm. and you're like, that's it. So <clears throat> I went ahead. I got Christian and Scott's phone number. Text them within 15 minutes. Had their times both set, and then I met. I don't have Alf's phone number, so I DM'd him. And then you had the audacity to throw in my Asperger's, like, uh, ask, where we have enough of a rapport with Alf where I can just go at Thursday, 530, perfect, <laughs> done. And then you had to throw in Asperger's because you literally hate the way I invite guests on the show. Ryan, I'm not, I'm not kidding at this. In our DMs, I've literally seen Drew send a DM to somebody to come on the podcast and use the word salutations. <laughs> You've literally never said that to someone's face. I have, but it's always been sarcastically. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah. Does it feel good to get that off your chest? Got it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> See, this is why this podcast works. It does. Because, because some, some of the DMs that I like, you're, I'm not kidding. Like it's an airing of grievances over yeah, here all the time. It's like your 15, your 15 paragraph. DM to Montucky when you could have just said, hey, hey you got an email for somebody how'd, in... How'd that go? You're welcome. No. Oh! You, you, you didn't... Oh, no. lawyered. No, you didn't, lawyered. Need, you didn't need to write all that. You could have just saved yourself the 20 minutes it took you to write that and then go over it in Word to make sure it's grammatically correct. 
and just said, hey, do you have an email for somebody in promotions? Listen. The Grammarly. Who, who is telling the not, chat GPT? Listen, I don't pay. I don't pay for anything. I don't pay for. To, to, I, you and I just joked about how it was finally time to pay for the athletic. Oh yeah, now a dollar ninety nine a month, and you didn't even do that. You, did you no, I said the, send me the article. And did you take? No, the you free never thing? sent me the article. I sent you a free thing. I didn't it a, see it. I didn't see it. I sent you a free month of it. Yeah, but you sent it, and then you didn't say anything about it. So I didn't oh. know that there, it was there. You just were like, I said, hey, send me the article, and then well, you know nothing. why? Because I only have five of those things, and this is what a cheap prick I am. I didn't want everybody else We're hoarding the group, them. I didn't yeah. want everybody else in the group chat <laughs> to ask. But you're right. I could have texted you. Yeah. You could have. This is hilarious. So, guys, we're here talking about the NFL draft, trying to take a look around the division. We've already had our conversation. We did our draft recap last week with Nate. I think that uh, you all know how that went. <laughs> it went pretty well. Um, we're just looking at how everybody feels about the respective draft classes, where they think the hits, the misses were. Because realistically, that's all you're doing now is sifting through the wreckage of what was the NFL draft. And so with that, there's only one real place to start, and it's with the New York Jets. And so to kick off our draft recap around the AFC East, we have Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, it's hard, right? Like, this is a conversation I think, like, it's... I'm going to try to make the point later in the night, pick Alfar Tiaga's brain about this, but it's hard to give, if you're trying to talk about the quality of a draft class, when you don't have a first-round pick... It's like you almost have to break out an entirely different grading rubric, correct? Yeah, it's a lot different when you don't have a first-round pick because obviously at that point, I mean, you could ask the Rams about this. You have a situation where you really got to dig a lot deeper. You don't have that prized first-round pick unless you have that rare situation where I, I guess – you know, Will Levis would be an example of if there's a quarterback that slides to the second round that you really liked and you didn't have a first-round pick, you could say, hey, we got this guy that we had graded as a first-round pick or whatever. But for the most part, definitely true. So let's talk about how the New York Jets did with the draft capital that they had. Like, obviously, you know, you guys make the trade for Rodgers, which, Ryan, first-round pick for Do you think they gave up too much? I think it's one of those. I think it was one of those rare, like everybody wins kind of trade mm-hmm. because the Jets are clearly in win now mode, and the Packers are clearly in rebuild. Let's see what we've got in Jordan Love for a season if we have to. You know, we've got assets to go get our guy next year if we need to. So it's one of those rare ones where like it's okay to admit that both teams did came out pretty good. I mean, I look at this and I say, you, you go into a draft class like this where it's. It's not the most robust class. If you needed, if you if you decided history. you needed a quarterback, that was the best way to go about getting a quarterback. Mm-hmm. If you're the Jets, and that's it. Because when you look at the quality of what you're getting out of this class, sure, there was a lot of names, but names. I mean, I've heard a lot of classes. D- 2008 when we got uh, 2008 2018 when we got Josh Allen, that was supposed to be the quarterback class. How right. many of those guys right now would you consider stars? Yeah. Out of that draft. And hey, 2020 was a year that everybody thought wasn't that good. And you have arguably two top five quarterbacks and three top 10 quarterbacks that came out of that class. Yeah. So so it's like it's a dice roll. You don't know what you're going to get. So you guys did what you did. You spent the and I know you've talked about how ambivalent you were towards it, but you still got to make a bunch of picks. You just you, you kind of. You didn't. You lost one of the middle round picks, and then you swapped that first, and that's kind of where I want to start this because, like, 
you came on the show before the draft and you were like, man, I'm just really pissed about that trade down because I have a feeling that it means we're not going to get the tackle that we need in the first round. And it's like New England literally just said, hey, Jets, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you guys. It, it, to be fair, I my thought at the time was that they weren't going to get either Jackson Smith at Jigba or one of the tackles they wanted. And honestly, I didn't want Broderick Jones. So I was more perplexed at not picking Jackson Smith and Jigba. Once Darnell Wright and Peter Skronsky went off the board, at that point I was hoping they wouldn't take a tackle in that spot. But the funny thing about it is when the Will McDonald thing was announced at first, I was just kind of flabbergasted. But then you go back and watch Will McDonald's tape, and he's a killer. Will McDonald is is a, a tremendous pass rusher, and he's only getting better. Now, granted, he's a, a an older prospect, but you have to remember something about Will McDonald. This is a kid who really didn't start to play football in any meaningful way until he was a junior in high school. In fact, we told this story on the podcast. Ron Dane and Barry Alvarez came out from Wisconsin to watch Ron Dane, and Will McDonald was not impressed by them in the least, and it's not because he had an ego. It's because he had no clue who the hell those two guys were, <laughs> which is amazing when you think about the fact that Dane, obviously a former Heisman Trophy winner, NFL star, and Barry Alvarez, a legendary head coach of a major college football program. But McDonald is a guy that when he went to Iowa State, his defensive line coach said, this guy has the tools to be one of the best pass rushers I've ever been around. And that's what happened. I mean, Will McDonald, if he had come out after his junior year, honestly, he could have been a top 10 pick. I think what happened was this past year at 236 pounds, he was put inside a lot by uh, Matt Campbell. And so his sack totals and all of that suffered. He went down to, I think, six and a half sacks or seven and a half sacks. But this is a guy that had double digit sacks for two straight years. I believe he had five sacks his last four games, too, as a redshirt freshman. So this dude gets to the quarterback. And when you watch, incredible bend, very quick, a lot of moves, great hand movement. I'm uh, Honestly, it's funny. It's one of those things where at first I was sort of, eh, And then the more time went on and the more I started to really think about what Salah saw and, and watch the tape, I, I really liked the pick a lot more than a lot of other people did certainly well, the draft experts well, like uh, certainly you know a lot of hang on whoa, whoa certainly more than a lot of the jets fans in attendance here right it was the most new jersey thing i've ever seen there's a child at the draft podium announcing the pick and the pick comes out and here's 50 drunk jets fans going boo boo and it's like you're booing a child you're right up there yeah. with philly throwing snowballs at santa well, I mean, you know it is, though, true. Uh, to be honest, the, the average draft watcher or attendee, and this is not meant as a slight, they don't follow this stuff to no. the fanatic degree that some of us do. So they hear Will McDonald, and they don't. it's not a name they were I, expecting or a name they knew. You guys booed look, Darrell Revis, too, though. So, we, like I said, the, the history has been set that they don't. the people who are there at the draft don't always know. They're just there to have a good time. Let me tell you a quick story about Darrell Revis that I don't know if I've ever told this story on a podcast before, but it, I still laugh at it. So I was still in radio at the time during that draft, right? And I was hosting a draft party at Wayne Corbett's old restaurant on Hempstead Turnpike uh, near Hofstra for the radio station that I was working for at the time. So I'm driving out there. I'm running a little late. I'm like, oh, whatever. The Jets don't pick till 25 anyway. So if I don't get there right on time, 
when the draft starts, no big deal. And I'm sitting in traffic, I'm sitting in traffic. All of a sudden on the radio, I hear the Jets have traded up. I go, you have got to be kidding me. Of course they trade up when I'm like literally on the way to this place. And then I think it was Mike Greenberg was doing the commentary for ESPN radio. And he said, and I'll never forget this. This has to be for the tight end, Greg Olson. And I'm like, if the Jets traded up <laughs> from 25 to 14 for a freaking tight end, I'm going to put my head through the windshield. And then, of course, they announced Revis. And I'm like, really? Because I had looked at those cornerbacks. And Aaron Rosso is a little bit biased towards because he went to Texas. And I, I really like Leon Hall. And Revis, was, I thought, was solid. But I'm like, really? Over Leon Hall? But then obviously, you know, it worked out okay for the Jets. But I'll never forget sitting in that traffic, being like, oh, I got plenty of time, no rush. And then all of a sudden they trade it. I'm like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> Best pick, worst pick, in your opinion, by the Jets in this draft? So the worst pick, hmm. It's funny because I didn't really dislike. Was there a pick? Any of these picks. Not that you dislike, but that in the moment you had a visceral reaction to. Yeah, I would say. When it happened, I didn't love McDonald at first, but then the pick really started to grow on me. I guess the pick that I liked the least, that's a tough one. I suppose it would probably be Zaire Barnes, the linebacker from Western Michigan who was picked in the fifth round. I don't dislike it, but of the picks they made, I probably dislike it the most. The best pick, that's a tough one. I would say the one I the two that are tied for me, Israel Abanakanda, the running back from Pitt who was picked in the fifth round, really good fit in the scheme, very fast, big kid, strong, comes from a great family too. He's been working with a personal trainer and eating, breathing, and sleeping football and, and school since he was seven years old. Seriously, seven years old, he was working with a personal trainer in football already. Uh, I think he could be a really nice second back to go with Brees Hall and, and help ease some of the pressure from Brees Hall coming back from that injury. And then I really like Zach Kuntz, the seventh round pick out of Old Dominion, the tight end. This is a kid that was a really high recruit, brother played at Penn State, absolute athletic freak. He had the best relative athletic score of any tight end that's entered the draft since 1987. But he fell behind Pat Fryermuth on the depth chart at Penn State. So when the offensive coordinator took the job at Old Dominion, he convinced Kuntz to come with him. This is a kid who's only scratching the surface. And, I mean, you want to talk about a freak of nature. He had a bad knee injury this past year, and they told him, no shot, you're making it to the combine. Not only did he make it back to the combine way ahead of where they thought he would be in terms of recovery, but he shattered all the combine records for tight ends. So, look, he's got some flaws in his game. Obviously, he wouldn't have gone in the seventh round if he didn't. But he's a, a better route runner than people expect. He's got incredible speed for a guy his size, 6'7", 255, that cone drill, too. But he ran a 4'5", which is insane. Seventh round so picks, I, you're talking about dart throws at this point. If that guy turns, right. like, you want to take the highly athletic yeah. guys, right? Yeah, that's when you exactly. take them. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, it's yeah. kind of like when you're in those late fifth, sixth, seventh round project areas. Yeah, you just look at that RAS score, worse. and it's like, take anybody who's green at that point. I'll yeah. say this, if there's anything I don't like about that guy. It's the fact that his name, his last name ends with the same letter and sound as his, like, his, his last name starts with the same letter that his first name ends with. And so when you try to pronounce it, do you have to, like, pause and say it? Like, Jack Kuntz. Or what? What? Like, well, like I don't like that. Hockey, of course, hockey well, players do it all the time. Uh, there was some uh, Matt Zuccarello, but it was Matt's 
Zuccarello, and it's like, no, it just kind of, the first name bleeds into the, what is your name? Tell me what your name is. I'll tell you this, Drew. If he starts making plays, you're going to hear a lot of this at MetLife Stadium. (laughs) So that'll be fun. I love what Joe Douglas said about him, and it's sort of along the lines of what you guys said. He said he has the freak factor that you're looking at for a seventh-round pick. In other words, he has the kind of athleticism and ability where if he gets the right coaching, maybe he becomes a good player. And if it doesn't work out, whatever, it's a seventh-round pick. So like you said, that's kind of exactly what you're looking for. Either that or the other kind of seventh-round pick you look at, you look at a guy that maybe has some character issues, and you say, okay, well, he was talented enough to maybe be a second-round pick, but he dropped because of character issues. We draft him here, and it doesn't work out. Who cares? If it works out, then great. You got an amazing pick. You know, Antonio Brown would be an example. I think he was a fifth rounder, but you get the idea. Well, the funny thing is, Antonio Brown wasn't a menace until he, until uh, what's his face tried to kill him. Perfect. Uh, until well, Vontez Burfick tried to kill him, and all of us and people people want to go. Well, CT, uh, and you go, no, no, no. That dude was a different human being before oh. he almost got killed on the football field. And now oh, yeah. it, it's, you just can't go back. But that's the same thing like Sam Kinison or Roseanne Barr. They weren't funny people. Traumatic brain injury, boom, they're hilarious all of a sudden. Like, it's, here's what I'll ask you, Scott, as we kind of round this out. You got, one of the things I was most interested in about your class is watching that they, they drafted linemen. Like, we all knew the Jets needed line help. You guys didn't swing for it early because the value just wasn't there. I think you, and you're probably right that anything that they would have drafted at that pick where they took Will McDonald would have been a reach at that point. Right? Like there's, I mean, if they had taken John Michael Schmitz, people would have laughed at you saying, oh, that value's bad, but he was the, arguably the best center in the draft. You needed the help. It would have been like the Cole Strange's pick for the Patriots where you go, Cole Strange has turned into a pretty good guard. Now, does the value fit? Probably not. You didn't get good value for your pick, but you did get a good player. What you guys did was you waited and you spent some you know, two out of your three picks on developmental offensive line players, but then also signed veterans to take the pressure off of them this season. Both of those veteran players you guys signed in free agency are on one-year deals. Am I to believe then that these two picks are pretty much backups right out of the gate? Well, I think Joe Tipman absolutely could become the starter at center right away. He's going to have the opportunity. Tipman, I thought you could make the case as the best center in the draft. It was either him or John Michael Schmitz. I think what really did it for the Jets with Tipman is that he has a much higher athletic upside than John Michael Schmitz. John Michael Schmitz is really an okay athlete. Tipman, for his size, is an exceptional athlete. So I think that's where they went. Even though you can make the case that maybe at this moment, John Michael Schmitz is a little bit better. They see the ceiling is higher with Tipman. Look, Connor McGovern was signed for $1.9 million, And I like that move because it made the Jets not desperate going into the draft. They gave them a guy who's at least a serviceable player at the position. So they didn't have to draft the center if there wasn't. It took away the, the desperation. But that doesn't mean that at $1.9 million, he's penciled in as the starter. Exactly. Now, it'll be a battle, but Joe Tipman could absolutely win it. As far as tackle, that's a different story. I think what happened there, truthfully, is once you got past those first few tackles and then some of the guys that went in the back end of the first round, like Anton Harrison, they just didn't see the value of tackles. So they waited until the fourth round. They took a guy in Carter Warren, who most likely 
won't start right away. I think he has potential to be a solid swing year one and then maybe compete year two. But I think it's just a matter of they weren't going to draft. They weren't going to reach hard for a tackle that they didn't really like in the second round. And I think what happened really is that they saw Carter Warren there and they said, look, in the fourth round, this is a guy that we had a bunch of injuries last year. Max Mitchell is a player we didn't expect to be playing games, even though, you know, after drafting him in the fourth round. But that's what happened. And so they're looking at it going, well, we need a guy that can be a tackle option for us. Listen, Carter Maybe. Warren was a guy that uh, we had Russ Brown on. He came onto our show to preview the offensive line class, and he said Carter Warren was one of his sleepers in this entire class as far as guys yeah. who liked with upside. So you got good value there. It'll be interesting to see how they bring those guys along. Now, as we go, as we get out of here, 60 seconds, are you happy with the class? And just quick thoughts on opening night versus Buffalo week one. Yeah, I think the class is solid. I think my friend Walter Cherpinski from WalterFootball.com had a great line. He said, you could argue that maybe the Jets didn't get the best value at every position. In other words, maybe Will McDonald could have lasted a little longer. But ultimately what it comes down to is if you pick the players based on your board and, and your own evaluations and you like the players and you think they're going to be good players, I think most of the guys the Jets got have a chance to at least be solid contributors even the guys in the late rounds uh, they have at least special teams ability so I, I overall i think the class is pretty good as far as week one it's gonna be man that's gonna be a hell of an atmosphere let me tell you i i would love to see you guys come down i know drew it's, it would be tough for you because of your obligations and chris same thing but it would be fun for you guys to come down i think you'd enjoy it it's gonna be unbelievable aaron Rodgers' first home game going in there against the bills national television it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm trying to, to work out which games I'm going to go to on the road again this year. And so I'll definitely be there at that Bills game for the home game. And I'm hoping to get back up there and hang out with you guys for the Bills Jets again in Buffalo because two reasons. Uh, well, three reasons. Number one, I really want to see the game. Number two, I really want some more of those barbell wings. And number three, obviously, it's always a party if you guys are involved. So I'm hoping. And also, super Mexican. You should have come up to me and told me that you were there because then I'm like, I wanted to hang out with Super Mexican. He goes, I was there, but you were too busy talking to Drew. I'm like, dude, you should have told me that you were there. Yeah, so not- next time, I hope he comes up and, and hangs out. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get up there in Buffalo, but that first matchup is going to be crazy. The atmosphere is going to be nuts. Where can people follow you guys on social media? Play Like a Jet 1 on Twitter. We've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jet. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under, has been killing it over there. Our channel is growing leaps and bounds with his fantastic film breakdowns of all the Jets prospects we were talking about. He's doing Rodgers breakdowns, Al Woods, all the new players. It's over there. You can subscribe to the podcast anywhere where there's where you get your podcasts, whatever, or playlikeajet.com. And we're, we're looking at doing some other things soon, too. So uh, definitely be talking about that when I know more. But as of now... I'm just glad that the Jets and the Bills are playing week one national television. It's going to be like Hulk Hogan versus The Rock, right? Aaron Rodgers, the (laughs) older elite guy against the younger elite guy who's trying to take the top spot or is arguably in the top spot and the old guy trying to hold him off. It's going to be like WrestleMania 18 in the Sky Dome when we get to week one at MetLife Stadium. I'm really looking forward to it. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so we move right along from the New York Jets to the New England Patriots as we're trying to put a bow on all of our draft talk and draft content. And with us tonight to talk about the New England Patriots, Christian Simonelli. Christian, is it a white V-neck or is it the traditional? You know what I'm talking about. What you, traditional crew for you tonight. <laughs> you traditional cla- crew. You, you really classed it up for us, huh? Uh, sure, I sure did. It's even clean. It doesn't have any stains on it. Yet. <laughs> do you have Do you have drawers in your on your dresser? Like top drawer, socks and underwear. Second drawer, crew neck, white t shirts. Second drawer, V neck, white t shirts. Is that Is that how your uh, dresser is set up? What do you think? Yes, that's a yes. Chris is a man of fashion, Christian, Correct. so he, he he's very interested in how wardrobes get arranged, and I like the fact that he has you pegged. I like the fact that he has you pegged. Now, speaking of having people pegged, like, does Bill Belichick really hate the Jets that much that he had them pegged for an offensive tackle and was like, fuck you guys, you're not doing it. Now, I'll turn down, I'll turn down better capital from other teams. Fuck you guys. <laughs> You know, the hate still runs deep, but, I mean, he did make a trade with them. Um, so, you know, I – look, I, Bill's list of grudges and, and hates is very long, so uh, – and the Jets <laughs> certainly runs deep. You know, I'm always reminded of the two Bills 30 for 30 when, you know, he sits down with Bill Parcells and they at the end of it they're walking out of the stadium – and the, the uh, interviewer uh, or, like, the producer was like, oh, let's go in the Jets locker room. And they, and they were both, like, they might as well have been, like, we're going to go to the firing line. Like, no, no, we don't want to go in there. We don't want anything. No, no, we don't have to go in there. So the hate still runs deep. I mean, that was only a couple of years ago. So, yeah, doesn't put it past me. Hates hates the Jets, absolutely. So you guys go on to make the most picks of any team in the AFC East in this year's draft. Twelve, yep. You guys were also arguably the team that had the most work to do. I mean, Ryan, is that a fair is that a fair statement? Yeah. Like when you even though the Jets finished behind you guys in terms of standings at the end of the season, going into this year with the makeup of the teams being what they are, you guys probably had the the biggest lift to undertake. So it makes sense you guys want to stock the roster with as much talent as possible. After having a chance to absorb the draft night and then watch your haul come in and then 
you know, you're talking about it with other fans. There's obviously the, all of your local coverage. Do you feel like they got good value on yep. this draft class? For me, it's a tale of two drafts. Um, they got good value at the top and at the bottom. I don't know what the hell they were doing in the middle. <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like the, the, the Patriots and by, by the Patriots, I mean ownership had a strong say in the first couple of picks and then let Bill kind of draft in the middle and then let the organization go back at the, at the bottom at the end with, with you really, you know, getting, I mean, uh, Boutte and, and Douglas at the wide receiver position. And, and then they let Bill, you know, throw a punter in there for good measure. So it was very <laughs> odd way. to me. Like I, I mean, the last time you guys drafted a specialist like that, he came out, what, he was cut over concerns that he uh, might be a raging anti-Semite? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not... Oh, that's, oh yeah, the... Uh, what get the what tattoo. Get the tattoo, uh, the 3 percent tattoo. Yeah. No. Yeah, thank you. And then he's trying to say, like, oh, no, it's actually... I got it before I knew what that meant. I got it, I got it before <laughs> I knew what it meant, and also something else. That's cool if your last name is Smith. Your last name is Rohrwasser. No one's giving you a pass on like that. The people who argue, though, well, the yeah, swastika it, was used before the Nazis. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You don't get a pass on that, Rohrwasser, <laughs> oh, yeah. with the Luftwaffe and the... Get out of yeah, here. You don't, you know... So, so with that in I mind... Think, I think in life, one thing is certain, you know, you don't want to ever give a white supremacist the, the, the you know, the doubt of, uh, you know, what am I trying to say? Benefit of the no, doubt. When someone know, t- well, when someone tells you, hey, I have this tattoo... Thank you very much. When someone tells <laughs> you, I have a Nazi tattoo, but it's not what you think, I don't know, I think it is what I think. Look, I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. It probably I it is, is what, what I, think. I think it is what I think. So with probably. that in mind, so this was kind of like an up and down thing for the Patriots throughout this. I will say I don't like your first round pick, Gonzalez fits, right? Like your cornerback. In fact, the fact that you guys spent two, not just one, but two of your top three picks on cornerbacks underscores just how badly that position group has been drafted and built over the last few years, I think. Like Juwan Williams, he's another, like he's a Cyrus Jones, like an Alabama guy who I thought was going to crucify the Bills. There's a long Raza, or was it Razai Dowling? There is a long, Raza, a long Dowling, yep. The same way people bag on Bill Belichick for being bad at drafting wide receivers, he's quietly really bad on day two value at defensive back. It's just, it has not gone well. His, for uh, him. He, oh, no, second round has been an absolute uh, horror show for him. It's been terrible. Um, look, they've, they've now for two years in a row, they've, they've made a, a commitment to get faster as a team. You know, they drafted Tyquan Thorne to Marcus Jones last year and Jack Jones. You know, this year, you know, you get Gonzalez, um, you get Mapu, who, I don't know, is he too big to be a defensive back but too small to be a linebacker? But a guy that they need against teams like you, yep. a guy that they need against quarterbacks who can move, they, they've not had that. They have the classic Bill Belichick linebacker is the thumper who can take on a guard, hit the hole, um, that's an antiquated defense. Now you need guys that can chase Mahomes and Jackson and Allen around, and hopefully they started to address that. But they it needed to increase their team speed across the board, you know, on both sides of the ball, and they've really been trying to do that, you know, for the past couple of drafts. Now here's a question I have to ask because I gave the Packers a lot of shit for taking a kicker in the third round. <laughs> 
how frustrating. Well, I'm going to frame it a little bit differently for you. Like, obviously, they went all defense with their first three picks. Keon White, Ryan, seems like really good value. Keon oh, White seems like a great player yeah. for that pick. Like They did a great job in the early, early picks, for sure. And Christian True or False, you really right. needed a pass rusher other than uh, what's-his-face there. Uh, Jesus Christ. Judon. Judon. Other than Judon, you guys Judon. don't have yeah. any reliable pass rushers. So you needed that pick. But was it frustrating to see the way the draft falls, knowing what the offense was last year, knowing how disjointed it was, knowing what you lost in the fact that you cut John or traded away Johnny Smith just to get his contract off the books because that was a failed signing. Then Jacoby Myers doesn't come back. He goes to he goes to Oakland or L.A. now L. Las Vegas, Vegas. fucking Raiders. Who cares? Just call the Raiders. The Raiders. So knowing that you guys drafted a kicker before an offensive skill position player in the draft, like was there a level of frustration with Patriots fans watching them just completely eschew the offensive side of the football? (laughs) Well, I was sitting watching the draft them, and I and they drafted Jake Andrews, who may replace David Andrews first before they drafted the kicker. So that was right after they drafted Mapu and. My wife is like, I was like, here we go. Here we go. And she's like, what do you mean, here we go? I was like, here we go. I go, we're getting to the part of the draft where his board, for some reason, has offensive linemen and defensive linemen and specialists (laughs) ahead of, like, the next best wide receiver and tight end available. Watch. Just watch. And she's looking at me, and my face is turning red, and I got both fists squeezed. And then, sure enough, he goes, offensive lineman, kicker, offensive lineman, offensive lineman. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. They can't be these guys. You can't have these guys rated ahead of the guys that were available. You just can't. And like you, you said, can only play the five amount of help that we need on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, you only yeah, get five. Why did you take You this know they had 16. Uh, they have 16 offensive linemen. 16! <laughs> <laughs> That's insane! It's insane! That, okay. Insane. That's, so, that's funny to me. Yeah, I guess that out. <laughs> That's, I'm watching this draft play out, and I'm like, I'm focused on Bill's stuff. So I'm really, and then that, you know, that Saturday, I helped my father-in-law move the entire day, so I wasn't paying attention to any draft content. So I sit down that night, and I pour myself a couple beers, and I say, you know what? And my, my wife's like, you know what, honey? You earned this. You literally moved my father's entire house. Like, it was me and him doing a lot of the heavy lifting, most of it, from Rochester to Buffalo. I'm exhausted. I come home, pour a couple whiskeys, and I'm going to catch up on the draft. And the first thing I do is I pull up every team's just let me – show me the draft class. Just no commentary. I just want to see the picks. And so I always go to Pro Football <laughs> Reference because they always have, like, again, there's no right. opinion. It's nice just, listed. This is yeah. just a list. And I see this class yeah. and I go, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> and my wife turns to me and goes, who are you talking to? I go, Bill Belichick. Like, did your dog take over for a point? Like, is that that thing? Like, last time they cut to the camera, the dog was sitting in the chair. Was he actually making some of these picks? And I then, think so. Now, don't get me wrong. Like Antonio Mafi, that's a name I know. We've talked about him. Big yeah, physical offensive lineman. It could be something on the interior. Maybe they're planning on, I don't know, backfilling with cheap physical guard play that they don't want to pay for later because they want to chase some skill players in free agency. Who fucking knows? But yeah, like you guys had opportunities. You had opportunities to draft some great wide receivers to help out your beleaguered offense and quarterback. 
and they decided that a kicker, like that's the one that makes this seem not serious to me. It's one thing, like you can sit there and you can tell me, well, you know, that, you know, we, we know that there was a wide receiver there, but this tight end, we know that there was wide receiver talent or tight end talent. But also there was this defensive end who's going to play, we think, grow into a really nice rotational player for us in the back end of the fourth round or a guy that we can groom as a developmental, you know, one tech tackle or a two, you know, long shot. But we can take him in the fourth and know that he's one of the last ones in the class. You can sell any of that. You cannot sell me a fucking kicker. In the fourth round, it reminds me of the one guy that we draft with in fantasy football who every year gets drunk faster than anybody else. You saw it. I saw it. He took a kicker in the fifth round. Yeah. Thinking. Best player on the board. Because his idea was, (laughs) well, everybody's taking all the positions I want. I know what I'll do. I'll start the kicker run. And then when they all go kickers, I'll be able to snap up this other tier of players. And no one did it. We just kept, like, we passed over him like a speed <laughs> right. bump and just kept drafting. And no one took a kicker for, like, four more rounds. It it feels like when I see that, I, I immediately go, oh, you're not serious about this. And so I have questions. Our Patriots fans, because you're plugged in with the, you know, you're following all the content, you talk to your fellow oh, yeah. fans a lot. What is the temperature of the fan base after this draft? That they realize that they have a guy under center that they need to max protect and that they're not happy with the current stable of offensive linemen that they have now. That's what it means. They know they got a guy that's not that mobile. Um, he's not mobile. When I say that mobile, he's not that mobile. Just He's not mobile, okay? He's not a running quarterback. So they need to protect him. Um, and I think, honestly... Bill is going to try to win the way that he won early on with Tom Brady and that, okay, we're going to just have these gigantic guys on offense. We're going to control the, we're going to control the line of scrimmage. And then on defense, we're going to be able to keep it just close enough. And we talked about this last time. It was on about being a middling team and not being able to, to draft, you know, impact player and finishing eight, nine, you know, every year or, or around that to fans. That's ext- extremely frustrating considering you know, the talent that was available, like make no mistake about it. Like we're all watching, like we watched the 2019 draft and when they drafted Nikhil Harry, and then basically you had like the young stable of NFL wide receivers drafted after him who were like all top upper echelon guys. And we sit there and we say, how could you possibly miss that pick that bad? That's how we're going to look at this draft. We're going to look at all the guys around that round four that were picked. And if they develop into players, if they develop into the Terry McLaurins and the guy, the guys that we missed on, we're going to snap. And like, it's just going to be further, further, you know, uh, more data that we have that, like I said, I think the game has passed Bill by in the sense that he doesn't draft to the modern game. He can still coach with anybody. He can still game plan with the best of them. But I feel like this this part of the game of, of, of drafting and developing players and getting the, quote, 2023 NFL player in here, he hasn't done. And the middle of this draft is just the most frustrating thing. Now you take flyers in the sixth, okay, on Douglas, who they fell in love with at the Senior Bowl, and Boutte, who I guess at one point last year would have been like a top 10 pick if – he didn't happen to have double ankle surgery, which is great. Like, all right, fine. You take flyers on the guys in the sixth round, guys like that, you know, with, with a bit of small or with injuries. That's where you. That's where you take those guys. But you couldn't have drafted a tight end or a wide receiver in the fourth. 
you couldn't have done that and got the kicker with one of the four sixth round picks that you had, you couldn't have done that. You know, that's the thing that drives us crazy. It just drives you absolutely crazy. Yeah, undrafted free agent kickers. <laughs> like there's there there's ways oh, yeah. to go about this that it's just like I said. Yeah. And and not only that, but you also threw in a punter. This might be the first time in my adult <laughs> life, maybe maybe since I've been paying attention to the draft, that a team has drafted both a kicker and a punter in the same class. I think it. I think that that was they, they covered that on Did the they? draft coverage. I think it might be one of, if not maybe a couple times it's ever happened in the modern era. I, and just just the another. Last, the last team that did it was the, were the Raiders. Right. They drafted Janikowski and um, Leckler in the same draft. And that that was, worked like, out pretty well. Two thousand or something. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. If this kicker doesn't yeah, they were great. Jan- yeah, if this kicker doesn't become Janikowski. Yeah, and what happened? It worked team? out pretty good. It worked out pretty good. And what were those teams' records? I mean, they kicked the ball a lot. <laughs> they kicked the ball. He figures well. To. And this is what I was. That's the joke. And I love that you were setting it up because that's the joke I've been trying not to make this whole time. As I go, if anything else, I see that and it's a clear sign that you guys are really getting ready to punt and kick a lot of field goals. <laughs> you guys are really. As Patriots fans, you guys are in for it this year. I could, I could just feel it, and I'm not going to lie to you, Christian. It feels pretty good. It feels. Oh, I listen. <laughs> it should. It should feel great. Look, if I'll make you feel even better. The the narrative around here is that Bill O'Brien is the absolute saver of this team and is going to get this team back to into playoff contention and just his presence alone. Never mind the fact that you don't have a wide receiver on office that can't separate. That Bill O'Brien alone is going to vault this team up back to into the playoffs, and just him being here is going to be the cure-all. By God, I hope that's correct. But I have my doubts. Yeah, nothing screams offensive ingenuity like Bill O'Brien. It's like Bill O'Brien. <laughs> Surprised that's still running the wishbone, guys. Yeah, you guys are going to run the wishbone formation at least once this season, and everyone's heads are going to explode. Christian. I love it. Thank you for joining us for these shows all the time. We appreciate it. Our listeners love it. Where can they follow you on social media? Guys, thanks for having me as always. Love it. At Chris with the TIA and on Twitter. Give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. And, uh, oh, I promise this upcoming season will be one for the ages. And so we crack a fresh one as we bring in the final guest of the evening, Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. We're talking about the draft, Elf, and it's hard to, you know, kind of like the Jets, it's hard to get a feel for how somebody's draft, like, it's hard to say, like, oh, we killed it this year in the draft when you didn't have a first-round pick, right? Right. Like, it becomes more difficult to say, oh, we got to, by and large, how many second-round players come in on an average year and make an immediate significant impact? Man, it's like a quarter over the time, like 25%. Okay. Although, although our third-round pick was pretty damn good this year, though. you got to admit that. No, sure. But so <clears throat> I guess the point – I guess like what I'm looking at is for, for your two teams, it's hard to look at the draft and try to analyze it in the same way that you would the Bills or the Patriots because in theory, you spend a first-round draft pick, that player has to be a contributor for you in year one or else you kind of feel like it was a missed opportunity. Whereas if you're a team that didn't have one, you can't. It's it's apples and oranges when you're comparing the quality of the draft classes. Now, Nate Geary <laughs> he came on the podcast last week, 
and decided to throw a little shade at you. And uh, in fact, I think he named you personally, along with many others. That's he, my fault. I brought it up. He went on his drunken diatribe about the decision to take a cornerback instead of an offensive lineman. Now, first of all, this year, before you answer that, as a whole, are you happy with the Miami Dolphins draft class this year? Yeah, uh, especially on, on Cam Smith. Uh, I love this uh, this cornerback class. I put it on, on Twitter. Uh, he was my sixth-ranked cornerback. Uh, they only... They only really passed on DJ Turner out of Michigan on my board, but I had seven guys as possible first round guys, and Cam Smith is one of them. So I got to be happy with that. And if you look at the defense the way it's designed, then yeah, they were short a cornerback, they were short a boundary guy. So uh, this is a guy that's going to play a lot. You know, it's it, you're banking on one of two things, okay? Either they're idiots because Nick Needham is coming back, or they're really, really smart because Nick Needham tore his Achilles last year. And the last time we had a cornerback that tore his Achilles and we counted on him, uh, he, he and his $20 million a year just sat on the bench all, all, all year long. So, you know, it's, it's insurance, but it's, uh, it's a pretty smart and savvy move going forward as well. Well, and that's an interesting dynamic that I think I think a lot of fans don't realize because there's people like me who on draft night are sitting there just laughing my ass off going, ah, they took a cornerback. There was so many players. There was there was linemen help they need. They need tackles. They need all these things. And they took another cornerback. But you can also point at it and go, this is a team that has been burned in the past, re- just recently burned by banking on players coming back from injuries that didn't. So who knows, you know what I mean, who knows better about the dangers of that than the team that just suffered at, that, you know, suffered for it. So in this way, it kind of might be a little knee-jerk, but it's not, you know, if you're going to make a decision like that, there are far worse decisions to make. You know, if you were drafting, you know, if you were the Packers drafting a kicker in the third round because Mason Crosby's old, like that's a ba- that's a bad call. But cornerback in the second round for a team that has a lot of them but also has a lot of injuries recently not the worst idea now at the top of the draft one of the things that i looked at was just you guys had needs right linebacker tight end offensive line and you seemingly passed on all of them how does that sit with you Uh, they seem to be pretty happy with what they already had plus they are bringing in somebody at tackle they've They've essentially talked to everybody. Like, if you go on a, on, on the Spotrack website and you look at every free agent tackle, they've all been through here. <laughs> and it seems like they are going to sign one of them. My bet is that they're going to sign Cam Fleming, mm-hmm. which is, oddly enough, that was our preferred signing uh, from way back. Uh, we kind of like him to be our right tackle. Uh, you can't, and they've they've explained this many, many times, you can't really start spending that much money at that position when they're spending as much as they are everywhere else. Well, that's so, it. So you already have a very expensive left tackle. You have an expensive wide receiver. Okay. You have an expensive center. You know, you can't start spending now on an expensive right tackle when you're going to have an expensive right guard in a year. So, you know, and, and of course, Waddle's up in, in a couple of years, so you're going to have to pay him too, right? So... You know, it's it's one of those things where you have to allocate your resources um, in a smart way. Now, as far as the tackles that they've gone out to talk to, well, they've spoken to George Fenton, who I actually kind of like as a, as a stopgap. Uh, they're talking to Taylor Lewan, but Taylor Lewan doesn't want to play right tackle. 
uh, Eric Fisher, Cam Fleming, uh, several others. Uh, there's one that whose name escapes me as well. But they seem to have a plan. And at linebacker, you know, they seem to really like Channing Tindall, who they took last year in the third round. And he's a guy that will play as well. Um, they're kind of they should be happy with what they got on the front line as far as David Long and Jerome Baker, but their backups are Duke Riley and Channing Tindall's now going to get elevated. So well, and that was and that, that was one thing I heard and one thing I read, and I kind of wanted to get your feel on that because as I'm going through these draft recaps from different content creators from each fan base, and the thing was if you go back to last year's draft. Again, another draft where you guys are lacking capital at the top of it. You ended up taking Channing Tindall, Erica Zakanma, Cameron Good. Outside linebacker, wide receiver, linebacker. And all of those guys, in retrospect, were guys that you drafted and then shelved. Which, realistically, if you're talking about third, fourth, fifth picks... Chris, you and I lived through an era of Bills football where our team was so depleted of talent that you were kind of banking on every fourth and fifth round pick making some kind of an impact, right? 17 years. Yeah. So when you're a decent team, when you're a playoff caliber team, you have the luxury of being able to draft for the future, being able to draft guys, because realistically that's what those late rounds are supposed to be for. And it kind of feels like your whole draft class had that same kind of a feel to it this year, didn't it? Like, this draft wasn't really about 2023. This seems more about... 2023 maybe in case of injury, but more towards 2024. Uh, yes, except I would say that the Devon A chain is a guy that will play and play plenty, okay. and he'll have he'll have consequential snaps. I explained this like you know he could have ten snaps a game, but if one of them goes for seventy yards and a touchdown, you know how how big of an impact that he really have. He's also going to return both punts and kickoffs. Like that's already been made clear. So. Uh, right there, he's going to be a factor right away. Well, we've been asking best games. pick, worst pick all night. Is it safe to say that uh, A-Chain is probably your best pick? Like, if you had to make one, he's probably your favorite pick of this draft, considering how small your class was? Yeah, absolutely, and and I'll say why. Um, by the way, they're still in on the Dalvin Cook thing. It, does, it just doesn't go away. It also doesn't help that Dalvin Cook keeps telling anybody who will listen that he's going to be a Miami Dolphin, you know? Uh, <laughs> that doesn't know? help. But we, but, you know, we don't have any money until June 1st. That, they explained that today because uh, they were asking, why aren't you signing anybody and why aren't you doing anything? And Chris Greer said, look, we have no money right now. But we're getting $14 million on June 1st. So you'll see us do stuff on June 1st. <laughs> so I, I guess that's when you could see Cam Fleming uh, get signed and possibly some movement on, on Dalvin Cook. But Devon A-Chain is a guy that's going to help uh, against teams like, especially the Chargers, and the 49ers, who were cheating away from the box to try to take away our, our mid-range passing game. And, you know, it's going to hold linebackers because now when, when Devon A-Chain leaks out an arrow route, you better have somebody out there because if he catches it and he makes one guy miss, that's a, a third guy on our offense that runs a 4-3-40 that could be out in the open, you know, getting big, big chunk plays at, you know, 40, 50 yards a clip. Well, so there, there was you'll help immediately. Well, so and this is the one thing that I felt like if there's a parallel between the Dolphins draft and the Miami uh, the Dolphins draft and the Bills draft, <clears throat> this idea of a chain and Kincaid, right now Nate Geary's nearly viral rant about Kincaid 
really, if you go back and listen to what he's saying, it's not that he hates Kincaid as a player. He, what he didn't like was, one, the value at where they took him, a first-round tight end. Um, he also didn't trust the play caller using him, which is a fair criticism, I think. Chris, mm-hmm. I, there's not a lot of Ken Dorsey love in this room most of the time, is there? No. No. So... Uh, the flip side of that, you guys go out and you draft this running back who's got all these physical traits and tools that he could use to help your offense. You're also a team that, because of the mindset of the play caller, sometimes just says, like, it's like that Michael Jordan meme. He just says, fuck them runs, and he just doesn't do it. He just refuses. Like, San Francisco, you guys ran the ball eight times all game against a team that was cheating, trying to take away your short area passing game, where it would almost seemed to be in your best interest to try to run a little bit more than that. Then you got that game against the Bills where you've racked up 120 yards, I want to say, that Savannah Ahmed had, or I don't know. I don't know who Mostert. 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 Mostert gets 120 in the first half. You guys tried to run the ball three times in the second half with him. Like, I don't know what he saw or if he overthought it and said, hey, they think I'm going to zig. Well, now I'm going to zag. And it's just, is that a point of concern in terms of when you add a player like this to your offense? Is he going to be used? Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing is that our head coach is very much aware of it. And when he's been asked about it, he said, yeah, yeah, we just screwed up. (laughs) You know, we got to call. You know, because he was asked, oh, did you do enough to help the running game this offseason? And he's like, there's no problem with our running game. We have a good running game. It's just uh, <laughs> the play color was not very good last year. <laughs> See, and, <laughs> yeah. but I like that because he's able to. And that's one thing I will say that, like, Chris, if you have a play caller who is also the head coach, you can get yeah. away with saying shit like that because you're the guy. And it comes off as self-depreciating. People laugh. It's appreciated. I'm sure his staff appreciates the fact that he owns the mistakes that he's made. Now, if if he came out and said that, like if Sean McDermott came to the podium and was like, yeah, we just really sucked at throwing to our running backs even after we traded one last year. Like, that's it. You That guy's going to leave. Like You have a real problem on your hands. So in some cases, like, it's interesting when you have the coach-coordinator dynamic. I do like that. Now, how did you feel the team used its capital to address its biggest needs? Would you get, you know, would you give it a passing grade or a failing grade? Its biggest needs, like, you know, I would have loved to, you know, seen them go out and get an interior offensive lineman or a right tackle and go a longer way to fixing the issues out in this offensive line. So if, if you ask me, do I like the players that they got? A plus. Absolutely. Do I like that they address the immediate needs? No, nah, that's a D or a D minus. Like, you know, they did not. So that to have that's like a, a TBD, you know, or TBC to be continued, you know, because as of right now, they really have not done anything on the interior offensive line or at right tackle. So, you know, I, I don't mind the tight end as much as other people do because. You know, we barely threw it at tight ends, and we have enough tight ends to do enough roles as it is. So that's not really important. Well, let's talk about that, though, for a second, because you look at your tight end room, and who do you have? You have, like, Saubert. Um... Smythe, Smythe is a starter. Okay, so you have Smythe as a starter. You have, like, in fact, let me let me just look at this here. Eric Saubert's number two, and then uh, we drafted uh, Higgins to be the, the move tight end. Okay, so you drafted a move tight end late. 
and you have Smythe. And we picked up we picked up a former Bill Croft to be a blocker. Oh, good. Yeah, Ty, Ty, Tyler Croft had two plays as a Buffalo Bill that anyone will ever remember. That's it. Exactly two. And then most games you forgot he existed. Um, the so so this is this was going to be my question to you. So you watch them in the sixth round go get Elijah Higgins, who's like a wide receiver turned tight end, kind of a yeah. And they, they bring in Tyler Croft, who isn't really going to give you anything offensively. D- Durham Smythe, who could maybe be a little something for you. You had Darnell Washington. What's his face? Uh, the, the tight end. Yeah, Darnell Washington out of Georgia. Yeah. In multiple rounds, you had to crack at this guy. And they just didn't prioritize adding him to the offense. What do you think? Like, I heard a lot of Dolphins fan angst over that. How do you feel about it? Yeah, like I, I'm a, a bit confused, but now I think that the Dolphins are actually going to come out out of this looking all right because the Steelers took them. Steelers have Pat Frymouth, which means that Darnell Washington is going to be pigeonholed into maybe 180, 190, 200 snaps at 12 personnel, which means he's going to be invisible next season. So it's going to look like. It's going to look like they did the right thing, but they absolutely passed on him. And we had information where, you know, we kind of knew that there was like about 20 teams in the NFL that had him completely off their board due to the medical. Mm-hmm. The Miami Dolphins were not one of them. We reported that on our podcast. We spoke about that at length. Miami Dolphins had him on their board. So they absolutely passed on him twice. So it's one of those we shall see, you know, but he did not go, in my opinion, to the right situation no no to actually excel same thing with Tucker Craft. he went to Green Bay and Green Bay also took another tight end right before him uh they took Musgrave didn't they mm-hmm. yeah so that one's also going to be you know one where it's going to be lost in the ether we're not going to really find out if those guys are any good it's almost frustrating when you watch the draft and you think about it in those terms rather than just and that's why I like these exercises instead of just looking at things in your siloed view of fandom it's always interesting to branch out and see things through other lenses because you gain a better appreciation for what what first of all what a big crapshoot this entire draft is but also the like the other side of the coin here where it's like oh this player could be a great fit this guy could be a home run for that team well that guy it's Sucks for him because he's stuck in a situation where it, yeah. he'll he'll be one of those guys in three four years that we're talking about. Some team signs in free agency, and all of a sudden he sets the world on fire, and everyone's going to go, "Where did this come from?" No, it was there. He just unfortunately got drafted to a team that drafted another tight end because they thought that's what they needed. Yeah, and same thing for for the Bills with Dalton Kincaid, and I understand Nate Geary where he's getting at. Like you could have gotten. Like, right after you guys took Dalton, uh, Dalton Kincaid, Mazzy Smith went to the Cowboys. Like, he would have played 500, 600 snaps for you guys. Mm-hmm. You know? If you needed offensive tackle help, I'm a, I was a big fan. Uh, my two partners on the podcast were not. Anton Harrison, who went at 27 to the Jaguars, I think he could have helped you. You know? But mm-hmm. I was thinking more, uh, Brian Breezy could have helped you as a defense tackle as well. You yeah. know? <laughs> if you needed an edge rusher, Nolan Smith. Like, there were some nice players that went – after that, but, you know, uh, I kept telling you guys as far as the, the Bills, what I feared was that you guys were going to go get a serious playmaker. And at 39, Jonathan Mingo went to the Panthers. I think he's in a perfect situation. There's almost nobody there. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a guy who, look, I, I have him on my short list. I don't know if you guys like playing these props, but I do. He's on my short list for Offensive Rookie of the Year. 
Jonathan Mingo. All right. There's gonna be some. There's gonna be some Bills fans that are gonna see Jonathan Mingo have 1,100 yards receiving and 10 touchdowns next year, and they're gonna be like, "I can't believe we did that in the first <laughs> round." You know, and and you know, I see. You know, if this is me in charge, this is me. This is me, and this is not Brandon Beam. I have Josh Allen. I'm getting him weapons, and I'm getting him weapons that could get down the field. I want to take advantage of my quarterback's number one trait, which is his arm mm-hmm. and his accuracy down the field. Yeah, that would have been my pick, Jonathan Mingo. But I was a bigger fan than most. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it is good to hear that. Like at least at least you don't completely hate the idea of Dalton Kincaid, and that it is. But but it is also troubling to hear you agreeing with Nate Geary on some things. I don't know. I, first of all, I I don't even know how to process that emotionally. Like. <laughs> in fact, I will say we got to get you two together back on the podcast one of these days because. People really loved hearing you two have reasoned debate in what was some people tuned in thinking they were getting celebrity deathmatch. And instead, what they got was a really great conversation, which at the end of the day, I mean, it's that and beer. I mean, that's all we really have, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, and today and today we're all on pins and needles waiting for this this schedule. It looks like you guys will avoid the Hard Rock Sun (laughs) and we will avoid snowballs. So, you know. Not a very eventful slate of Bills-Dolphins games this year. Uh, there'll be great weather for both. Well, you're going to have to find your way up here for one. Uh, during the offseason, guys, if you want to follow up on anything Dolphins, make sure, like, I'm a listener of 3 Yards Per Carry. I enjoy their show, and I, partially because I'm petty, I like hearing some of the things that go, when things go wrong, I like being able to tune in and sop some of that up. Where can everybody find your work? Where can they find your shows? Yeah, and this is key. We're very, very honest with the way we run our podcast. Like, we just did our UDFA show, and there was a couple of guys where we were going on and on. Like, we knew every single snap this guy played in college, and there were other guys who were like, I don't know who the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who that who that guy is that they signed. But you can find all of that on our – go on our Twitter feed. It's number three, Yards Per Carry. Of course, you can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. It's the same name, the number three, Yards Per Carry. Alfar Tiaga, Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason. They are the too cool. Too cool? Holy shit. With uh, Rikishi? Yeah. Now here's a you question. Know, well, no, El- hang on, because this is what I'll say. Elf has said before that he did put on a lot of weight after he started drinking beer. Did, does he have to be Rikishi? Most likely. Because the other I just, two are very... I just say that because... The other two are painfully I just, Caucasian. I just say that because <laughs> like, Jet fans on Twitter... And some of the national media are like, they're too cool on the Jets. Oh, Jets are going to win the AFC East. Oh, you know Buffalo's in the AFC East too. It was all oh, Week One. Rogers and uh, <laughs> Allen. <laughs> Guess who's going to get embarrassed on Monday Night Football Week One? Well, I can't wait to talk about that. You know, you're going to hear more about that. Or, in fact, if you've already listened to it, go back and check out our schedule release podcast. Talking about the Buffalo Bills, I mean, you've heard our recap show, but here's what I want to ask you, Ryan. Like, if we're talking about this in terms of stuff we haven't already rehashed, the theme of the night, you've now heard three different people talking about their feelings about the respective draft classes. Nobody felt like they hit a home run. Mm-hmm. There's not a single team in this division that f- has fans who feel like their team killed the draft. Every single one of these people we talked to tonight has something they can point to and say, hey, I really like this, I like this, I understand the logic of that. 
this, this, and this are question marks. This one thing just fired into the sun. Is that a symptom of a mediocre draft class? Like, is that something that, like, Chris, is that an indictment of the fact that maybe this class wasn't very good to begin with? Or people don't know how to draft. Yeah, I think, I mean, even if people don't know how to draft, though, there would have been a team to come out of it going, we crushed it, we got all kinds of talent, right? And maybe the best draft class was Philly. But even Philly, like, how much better did they get from the division? I think, yeah, it was a product of... Yeah, Grimace is going to be a huge hit. (laughs) <laughs> it just this just wasn't a very good draft class in general. You know, there were a lot of quarterbacks that have a lot of question marks. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a you know, a game breaking wide receiver like you typically see. There's at least one usually in draft classes. There wasn't like a offensive lineman who's, you know, Hall of Fame get his get his mm-hmm. jacket measured like there usually is. There's not like a you know, again, a, a game breaking defensive player. There's just a, a bunch of guys that are good at what they do, but I like the fact that I like the fact that Philadelphia just said fuck it, let's try to put Georgia together. Yeah, I mean they just basically went when in doubt, just draft from the SEC, the top of the SEC. Like that was their strategy, and you can't fault them for it, right? I mean they've got an entire defensive front made up of Georgia players. What's what's two more? Yeah, no, and and you're right. And so I guess when you look at it, like so, let's see, 2023 NFL draft. Pro Football Reference, because it's just going to give me not mock drafts. Sh- shut up. We all know that you love mock drafts. Yeah, I'll f- I'll I'll throw this laptop off the goddamn table. So yeah, when you look at the way this broke out, like there wasn't like even in the top ten of this draft, there weren't a ton of stars. There weren't mm-hmm. a, there were guys who you knew because it's all you've heard for the last couple months yeah. as we're going through the draft cycle and you're hearing all the stuff about. This player, that player, you know, like okay. Well, they've De- got to pick. They've got to pick guys to profile, right? My so, friend yeah. Doug has the audacity to come in here, and I mind you, he is a draft nick, but he has the audacity to come in here and start talking about like, oh well, you know, uh, Devin Witherspoon. Tell me that you've seen fifty yeah. <laughs> seconds of Devin Witherspoon in real life. You haven't. You haven't. No one has. It's what you've heard. It's what you've been told, and you trust those people. But when I look at this draft, I look at this and you go, Jameer Gibbs got taken at 12. Holy shit. Yeah, two running backs went top 12. What does that tell Now, you think back to previous classes where multiple running backs got taken or running backs got taken in the first round. There was the Saquon Barkley draft where he went two, which is hilarious in retrospect. Yeah. Then you've got the year that Najee Harris and Travis Etienne went in the 20s, which is about where you should be spending first-round capital on a running back. Yeah, yeah. These guys went in the top 12, and Jameer Gibbs was a player who you could argue should have fallen into the 20s. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I mean, if- B. John Robinson's that dude. Like, he's he's that good. But Gibbs was, it felt like kind of like a panic pick at that point. So in that, with that taken, you look at this and go, Detroit, on one hand, I can say, Detroit drafts running backs high in the draft every other year, and it always blows up in their face. But also, you can look at this class and go, they really didn't think that there was. They looked at their board and said, "Fuck it, there's nobody here worth taking." Zay Flowers, nah, nah, not fit. Doesn't fit our needs. We already have this. We already have that. Fuck it, take a running back at twelve. 
even though we've already got one on the roster that profiles exactly like Gibbs. That seems like a pretty stern indictment of the class. Oh, yeah. More sure. so than them having bad judgment, now that I can take a look back at this in totality. So with it in mind, it's not surprising to me that as we're sitting here tonight, everybody's talked about how they had ups and downs with the class. I think that when if we're trying to make, and I said it at the top, and I you know reiterated to both Scott and uh, you know we talked about it with Elf, this idea that when you don't have a first round pick, it's hard to compare draft value yeah. in terms of a, a class. But if Chris, if we had to power rank the way the draft fell for all four AFC East teams, right? Like you have the Patriots who drafted. A, a bunch of defensive players that I think history's shown you can stack up on defense, and if your offense is toke is like Turk Schonert level, hey, we're going to score eighteen points a game yeah. <laughs> for an eighteen game season. It doesn't matter how good your defense is unless you're the eighty five Bears, you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. So in that way, I don't know that their class really gets them better. Um, you look at what the we talked about how the without a first round pick, the or at least you know the Dolphins were basically drafting for the future. For sure, like yeah. hey, we're drafting future starters. We're just like these guys aren't going to have a heavy role this season. The Jets drafted a guy who you know Will McDonald at fifteen. You draft a defensive end at fifteen. He's in your game plan. Yeah, he is he a. Has to be. He's taking sixty percent of your snaps now at defensive end. If you took him that high in the draft. Otherwise, the rest of that class, I don't know. There's a lot of those guys who are probably going to be backing up players for a while. Or making other guys on your roster trade candidates. Yes. So like, the, and so that's, I guess, the trade-off. But really, so you come back and you look at that. The draft didn't benefit immediate, like pay immediate dividends for almost any team. Buffalo gets Kincaid which allows them to now run the type of packages they wanted to run last year at a 12-person. Regardless of what Geary says. They bring in a guard who everybody thought was a first-round draft pick yeah. and probably a very like a very quick starter in the NFL. Do you think they're going to give him an honest run at Rick Bates' job? Yeah, they have to. I think they have to, especially with, with what's going on with Mitch Morris. You don't, I mean, you, you have to, at this point in his career, plan on Morris missing time. So the question is, is that do you plug in you know, Bates at a starter position and know that you're eventually going to have to kick him inside and let Torrance step in and start? Or do you start Torrance and you've got Bates as kind of that super sub situation where regardless of who goes down, I've got a guy that I can plug in on a moment's notice. And and that's kind of what that the offense needs to decide what they want to do is what do I prefer, Bates or what may have, uh, amount to a small step down in Torrance to know that I've got Bates to plug in at any given point in time, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, and then it also makes other guys trade candidates, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about, you know, Mance becomes a trade candidate now because if you've got Bates not starting, you don't necessarily need to worry about Bates getting hurt and then Morse getting hurt and not having mm-hmm. a center. So it, I think it gives a lot of flexibility. I think you can argue that out of this division, Buffalo got guys that you can plug in right now over anyone else in the division. I mean, Buffalo got two legitimate guys that should probably start day one and become consistent contributors over almost anyone else in the division at this point. And they might mean off the bus starters, off the bus starters, as Doug Whaley would say. (laughs) It's one of those phrases that'll haunt 
us as fans in this podcast forever. Because I I took it hook, line, and sinker. I bought it. But you're right. And I think that when you see the way this stacks up, these teams in the first round, you took Will Gonzalez in the first round as as your pick for the Dolphins. You took, uh, or who? Wait. Gonzalez with Gonzalez Christian was with Gonzalez. the with, with the uh, yeah Will uh, what's his face Will Anderson no, no. Anderson Will McDonald Will McDonald McDonald yeah is the Jets player rookie DNs that's a volatile like you don't I mean, know Buffalo's how to watched him for the last few years and right? you, like, also, <laughs> you also don't know how to project that like you're talking about McDonald as a rookie DN though they don't normally come in and make a huge impact now maybe he will. He's not a huge guy. He doesn't win with power, so it'll be interesting to see how that works and how they teach him to react to a step up. And you're you're not going up against the, what the what Big Ten, right? Yeah, it's not I mean, Big Ten offensive linemen are good. That's why their tackles get drafted all the time. But it's a step up. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see, especially out of the gate, how quickly he acclimates to that. Gonzalez for you know rookie corners. We drafted a first round corner last year. And he got out-snapped early on by a sixth-round draft pick who just outplayed him in training camp because that's the nature of the cornerback position. It's just about who has a better feel for it. You've got Kincaid and you've got Torrance. I don't think anybody did that made that much of an impact at the top where it matters with, hey, these are two guys who probably should have both been first-round draft picks. And they can come in and contribute right away. And should, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a significant way. If you're drafting Kincaid in the first round, he he needs to come in and get the lion's share of snaps mm-hmm. this 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 season. You've now become a, you've committed yourself to being a twelve personnel team. You have to, but right. it gives you that thing. Like that's the other thing. Our picks at the top of this draft that are supposed to do the most, like in terms of their rookie season are in a great position to do so because one of them gives you philosophical flexibility Mm -hmm. in terms of what you want to be as an offense. The other one also gives you a way to help enforce that by saying when we do decide to run 12 personnel, we now have a kind of a mauler at guard who when we do decide to run off right tackle, guess what? Now we don't have to worry about a leaky guard who can't block and can't pass protect. This guy's a road grader. They're doing things that are going to shape who they are as a football team. We're the only team that did that mm-hmm. at the top of the draft. Yeah, I mean, or you can take Torrance and you can put him at left guard, put him mm-hmm. between Dawkins and Morse, and then you can move McGovern over next to Spencer Brown as a mentor, you know, stability on the right-hand side of somebody who's played for quite a while, can mm-hmm. help Brown and things like that, and it gives you flexibility across your offensive line, but it makes you a better running football team, Yes, which is something that you have to be if you need to protect Josh Allen from his, from himself. 100%. So with that, I think that it's easy to say when you stack this all up, the Buffalo Bills, again, nobody had a class that go. Nobody. I don't think many teams in the NFL had a class that made you go, woo, look at that, except for the Houston Texans for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to take a quarterback, reasons. and then we take a quarterback, and then we trade up for a guy that you could have taken it to. Oh, uh, it's a fucking Yeah, and mess. I mean, you, you break it down, it's, again, it's product of the draft class, right? Like, Patriots got praised for the Christian Gonzalez pick because it's like, well, he was the best corner in this draft, and he slid all the way down. It's like, well, what does the best corner in this draft mean, though? Exactly. Like, is, like put him in last year's draft or next year's draft, and where is he? Is exactly. he still the top corner? Because we're talking about two different things. Exactly. So it's easy for me to sit here now, and I feel better about this having talked to our friends tonight. I hope you guys as listeners... And even better, if... if 
Chris can put it up. So rookie minicamp starts tomorrow. And they've got Bills have signed all of their draft picks except for Kincaid as of as of tonight. Nice. So everybody got locked in except for Kincaid, which not a surprise, first round picks. Bonus bonuses, right? That is that usually the haggling point? It's, bonus. it's usually guaranteed. Yeah, the bonus, or, the, or the bonus, my signing bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, because he slots in, but then they're gonna argue. So it's gonna be, you know, when does twenty one sign, when does you know, when did all the other yeah. guys sign? Yeah. So. And right. you're starting to see other First round picks start to trickle in. Bijan Robinson just signed tonight too, so you're starting to make your way down that waterfall. And then you're not he's, worried he's about probably it if you're Buffalo. in the uh, boardroom going, "Hey, hey, Bean, I'm a wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, rook, rookie mini I'm camp. a wide receiver. Well, Jimmy Graham <laughs> tried that, right? Tight end. Jimmy Graham <laughs> tried that, right, with the franchise tag, and it didn't work out well for him. So there's precedent there on that argument. But you talk about, I mean, rookie minicamp starts tomorrow. These guys are all in town. Kincaid's in town. It's just a matter of let's, let's see where everybody else falls. Let's get to the know. number. Let's figure it out. Yeah. You know, I, I just I feel good about but this. But to lock everybody up except for the one that usually is the bugaboo, you know, you're not – Torrance isn't arguing about why well, I should have gotten first round money. It wasn't yep. my fault, you know. So He's locking these here. guys in, they can all day one rookie mini camp. The ones that need it can step in right away. Well, guys, raise a glass because we're on the other side of draft content. <sighs> Finally, breathe a sigh of relief, guys. It's been a lot of fun. We gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Ryan Lacell. And this has been your AFC's Roundup.